to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey! Today we're discussing Season 9, Episode 21, which is titled When Night Meets Day. The episode aired on May 8th, 2003. Got it right this time. Yay. Lauren was going on that way 20 years ago. Uh, well, first off, Daniel reminded us, this is Episode 200. 200. This is just Guys. regular episodes. Don't don't count your recaps, your interviews, your bonus content. This is 200 regular episodes. What the we fuck? Keep, we keep having these benchmarks, and every time I think it can't get more surreal, and it keeps getting more surreal. We are almost two-thirds of the way through the show. Almost two-thirds. <laughs> almost. I mean, 20 more episodes, and we will be. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, we are so that's we are sixty percent of the way through the show as of right now sixty point four. If you're keeping score at home, okay, cool, all right. Um, but yeah, so it's episode two hundred. Thank you all for sticking with us for this long. That's very exciting. Ooh. We were amazed when we passed ten listeners, let alone where we are now. So thank you guys for somehow continuing to come along this journey with us because. I would have bowed out mm, 199 episodes ago if it weren't for my... Hey, no, 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 let me finish. (laughs) Let your girl finish if it weren't for my amazing co-hosts and how good this fucking show is. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But with that being said, uh, 5-8, I want to acknowledge a belated happy birthday to my mother, May 8th, 20 years ago. Whoops. I'm sure 11-year-old me made you a wonderful card. Um, for headlines, in what becomes known as the Mission Accomplished speech, great, U.S. President George W. Bush declares that major combat operations in Iraq have ended on board the USS Abraham Lincoln off the coast of California. Easily the most memeable moment of George Bush's <laughs> presidency. That or the shoe? This, I think, is more enduring than the shoe. Uh, the, the freedom is enduring, and, and so is the, the memes uh, of him standing on that goofy-ass fucking aircraft carrier with that big banner. But wasn't this a thing on Arrested Development, too? Like, I think they, so, yeah. Probably. Didn't they do a thing about that? Like, it's just, good lord, what a, uh, what a farce. Do you guys remember when our president was just lauded for being an idiot instead of a criminal? What a day. Well, I mean, uh, W had his turn in the, the, war, okay, but, the war criminal heart. Uh, but comparably. Uh, right. Yeah, no. Comparably. It, that honestly, honestly, of all the things that the former president is responsible for in his uh, one term, let's make it one and only here, people, uh, term in office, uh, of all the things that he is best known and responsible for, honestly, I think one of the worst might be the, like, whitewashing of w that he has done yeah like the, the making w and by extension cheney look so much better more smarter normal. more normal in comparison is one of the the worst things about uh, he has really made he has done more good for w than w could have ever done for himself very true uh, with all that being said, let's go on to the next piece. Uh, X2, a.k.a. X2 X-Men United, the superhero sequel with an all-star cast that includes Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, Anna Paquin, among many, many others, debuts and cruises to an easy box office victory. And I'm also going to give a shout-out to Brian Cox because his role in this movie is one of the most haunting, excellent villains ever as far as like a not-superhero villain. Also, was it? Isn't it Alan Cumming who's yes. Nightcrawler? Oh, Fantastic. So good. 
Oh, I love this movie. I remember seeing it in theaters. And I, of course, was like 11 years old. I unfortunately used the restroom like right towards the end of the movie. So I missed the whole thing where uh, Jean Grey dies. I missed that whole sequence at the end of the movie. So I had to go see it again. That was a clear solution, obviously. Yeah. No. And I, I, I was and still am obsessed with these movies. I also don't hate the third one, but that's a me problem. Ooh. Um, I know I can't be perfect, but you don't like Seinfeld, so here we are. America's <laughs> love affair with bottles full of bub comes to an end as Into Club by 50 Cent is the number one song for its ninth and final week. Guys, can you tell I'm on the upswing after month-end close for my job? <laughs> Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Donor. At 8.30, a Friends rerun. And at 9, the uh, hour-long episode from Will & Grace 23. I, you know, maybe maybe Jordan guest starred. I don't know. I'm not up on my Will & Grace uh, synopses. I don't uh, know. I can't. Couldn't tell you. Uh, sure somebody will in the comments. Uh, this week's episode had 21.9 million viewers tuning in. We are uh, written and directed both by Jack Orman this week, and he is uh, this is his swan song. He is uh, leaving us after uh, quite a bit. Uh, Jack Orman, of course, doing his third of three as a director. Uh, last one of his as director was for Snowfall, and doing his closing out his run of 28 episodes as a writer uh first snowfall and insurrection being the two notable ones of his as a writer from this season um he is he has been the showrunner this whole season um you know as 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 we've learned from other uh people and through interviews and stuff like john wells was always you know kind of the the big cheese on the show but like he would very much let other people drive uh as showrunner air quotes you know over certain seasons carol flint did uh was showrunner for a while lydia woodward uh and now jack orman getting his turn in the hot seat and arguably i would say arguably like he kind of is the fall guy for this season in a, in a way like the this season not turning out the way i think they envisioned it when they were going in and this season not being sort of an underwhelming follow-up to season eight um, kind of largely ends up falling squarely on Jack's shoulders. He, of course, you know, this is his last episode. He does leave and it's kind of like the, the official story is that he leaves to start his own production, you know, team and company and stuff. But it is sort of kind of, I think, generally accepted that he kind of fell on his sword for this uh, season like this season was kind of his baby and it didn't go the way they wanted it to and mm. so like he somebody had to take the fall for it and it ends up being performing but still he's sending us out on a fucking yeah banger boy. of an episode fucking can- fucking sending us out with a 10 out of 10 can we talk about the conceit for this episode before we get started Please. On go it? for it uh y'all i'm so glad daniel warned me ahead of time to watch this twice because even having watched it before we did notes, I still have no idea how I did these notes. I apologize to everyone if our script isn't as snug as normal because, holy shit, there was no good way to do this the way we handle our format. W- so we're going to do our best. <laughs> I was feeling this like existential dread as I'm watching the episode myself <laughs> because I was like, I have to warn Lauren because I can't emotionally handle her shitting on this episode that is so good. Like I was, I could feel, oh. I could feel her indifference coming through, <laughs> coming through my headphones as I was watching. Uh. So I was like, I can't go through that. I can't sit here for an hour and a half and like 
dissect this episode with somebody who's going to be completely disinterested just because she can't, you know, devote the like executive function to like take savoring it because the notes are so because speaking of falling on your sword taking the notes for this episode is a fucking nightmare (laughs) i'm pretty i'm just gonna say this i'm pretty proud with the solution i came up with yeah there was no other good way to do it it was a the best of a bunch of bad options and i feel like you, you did the best you could and Daniel, I'll say as always, thank you for watching the episode a little bit earlier to give us a heads up that it was a dual watch because you're right. This was one where I absolutely would have shit the bed and completely been soured by the stress of trying to go through this. Like, even having watched it once, there were times where I had to have Lizzie go back and rewind on something. So, like, thank you for yeah. telling me to watch it beforehand because it is a banger, but I would have completely been too busy dissociating in dread trying to burn my fingers <laughs> off getting it all done so thank you with that being said lizzie do you want to take us in sure our previously on is brought to us by pratt and we have a nice little pilot throwback with carter getting woken up but uh, it's by the housekeeper instead of lydia oh lydia how i do miss thee she's uh, in this episode fun fact is she yeah yeah very briefly very, that entirely? very briefly yeah she, she's in just a couple like quick like grabbing people from trauma rooms and stuff. Mm. Nothing like huge. Nothing, okay. nothing of major she substance, but yeah, she's around. <clears throat> but how I miss her in a mm-hmm. bigger sense. Uh, even even he does the fall back asleep a little bit thing that we all always do. Like, God, I'm pretty sure I did this morning. You and did. when he opens this, when he opens his curtains, holy shitty green screen, Batman! It's it is truly remarkable though how bad the green screen is later in the episode that it made me forget all about how bad this... And this green screen here is bad. But, like, it's remarkable how bad the green screen is later on that I didn't even remember it until you just said it, in that it's in this scene as well. Um, because that was definitely one of the first things I, I noted when I was watching myself. I was like, oh, God, this green screen is awful. Like, I, I just forget how bad 2002, 2003 green screen was until it's like shoved right in my face and then i watched the rest of the episode uh the green screen is honestly like it's a testament to how good the rest of the episode is that it doesn't ruin it because i feel like a lesser Mm -hmm. episode anything less than than a 10 out of 10 rest of the episode would have been ruined by the green screen in this episode it would have been the only thing we would talk about but we should talk about it we should definitely talk about it. anyway moving on uh, so then we see Carter gets into the ER for work. We learn he has the morning slash day shift. Um, there's been a big shooting spree going on in the past few hours by some rival gangs. So that will be an ongoing consequence through the episode. Um, we hear Pratt is at the end of his residency and he's finishing the last of his graveyard shifts later that night. And we learn an eclipse is happening later. So it's going to be a totally normal one. This is right up there with like full moon episodes where it's like, okay, how fucking weird are people going to get? Yeah. So we'll start off with that. The big um, thing for this episode is Carter's the morning shift. Pratt is the next night. We're going to flip back and forth between them. Bear with us, guys. (laughs) We'll get there. We're going to flip back and Um, forth a lot. Yep. And then flipping back and forth. Here we go. First switch is Pratt then is arriving for the night shift. And Jerry teaches him what an eclipse is. And he goes, oh, great. The moon blocking out the sun. There's a billboard outside my house that does the same thing. So that just makes me laugh. Very cute. Um, Carter looks like shit as he's handing charts off and giving the rundown of the patients for turnover. 
And um, Carter's face as he's leaving when Pratt says goodbye looks like a man coming out of a walking coma. Like, Carter is just done. Mm. Oh, right. Which, now, like, I just fucking put this together. This is me watching this for the third time is why he has that face based on the call we see him having right right before fucking duh (laughs) i mean this this episode so uh, you know before we get really too deep into the weeds like um this is i feel like we've had event episodes before we've had gimmick episodes before we've had you know we've had we've had episodes in search of gimmick We've, we've had gimmicks in search of episodes and yada 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 whatever like so there we've had prestige uh, you know we've had really really excellent heart thumping you know type drama episodes this episode i feel like is the closest thing we have seen to date to a modern air quotes prestige television type of episode where there's things being woven throughout the not just the narrative of the current episode but also things that are being woven in from previous episodes and things that are going to be woven in for for upcoming episodes because like the whole reason Pratt's even on night shift to begin with is because of his heated argument with Romano uh, a couple episodes ago uh, over that patient and you know there's going to be the the phone call at the end that is going to introduce a recurring character that we will meet over the course of the next five or so episodes who in this episode is wholly inconsequential. Like she's literally just in the background and you're going to see her for like a hot second towards the end of the episode. And so it's like, this is, I feel like the closest thing you would see to like a Mad Men Sopranos, like type of like everything weaves so perfectly in and out of itself um, in a way that you don't expect from a network television show, network television shows, even when they are, you know, overarching storylines like ER, they're still relatively standalone. Like, yeah, you're going to miss some details. Yeah, there's some things that kind of carry over throughout the course of the season. But it's not it's not like it is with a Mad Men or a Breaking Bad or something where if you get dropped into an episode in the middle of the season, you are missing just piles of context. And I feel like this episode is, is the closest to that that we've ever seen. Yeah. This is definitely just... You're right, much closer to prestige. To, I had a thought that was going with that, and it just totally was like, nope, nah, too much. Um, but yeah, back to the day shift. We get Carrie yelling at a construction set of construction workers in the ambulance bay because they're doing some extension or improvement on one of the connecting pieces of the hospital. And our first patient that we see is a 32-year-old woman struck by a cab. And we learn at this point that Carter is going on vacation with his dad. So that's exciting. Um, And the woman is talking about the end of the world and how it's going to happen in line with the eclipse. So we're already having a perfectly normal one as we come in with bangs. And I love here the transition of Carter going like, oh, that's so sad. I always have to work on the end of the world. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, so good. good. Such a good delivery. I think... um... I think the construction stuff, if I remember correctly, doesn't that feed directly into like hospital layout type stuff? Because they say they're expanding. It might. They say they're expanding triage. And so no, I they're f- moving triage. Or they're moving triage. That's what it is. So I feel like that feeds into some of so the, get, the more layout change type stuff yeah. we'll see yeah. next season. So they can You're get right. four more beds. Yeah, there you yep. go. That's right. Yeah, because we're getting close. It may very well be in season ten. We're getting very close to that uh, point where the the wall or the yeah the wall in front of Jerry's desk, like the admit desk, 
uh, where it used to just be a cut through between the yeah. two trauma areas, that's going to all turn into beds uh, at some point. Like yeah. they're going to push that wall like like six feet further back and it's going to all turn into beds. But I can't remember if that's 10 or if it's closer to like 12, 13 that that happens. Well, that's a really long time for construction if it's another two seasons. <laughs> I mean, have you met Chicago construction workers? Hey. <laughs> oh. hey. Two seasons, no. winter and construction, am I right? All right, go ahead, Lizzie. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's only the ones who work on the roads. Uh, anyway, fucking Go. fucking Kennedy. Sorry. Go. Um, working. So we're go. We're still with Carter. Uh, was working on a gunshot wound victim, struggling to swallow, and more from the gang war. He says, "If we keep shooting each other, we're gonna run out of blood." And they're reinflating this guy's lung. Uh, Gallant calls Carter over to talk to a talk to a Buddhist nun who is uh, dying. And Romano's on medical leave, and which of course Carrie can't reveal. Oh yeah, it's it, oh is it about his arm? Oh, I can't tell you that. You shouldn't be oh, good. Good on you, Carrie. Uh, and a man is yelling about needing Demerol for pancreatitis, and he is played by. He is played by actor David Giannopoulos, uh, who appears in stuff like Under Siege Two, Dark Territory, uh, Air Force One, and yeah. Cop Rock. Uh, which, uh, yes, kids, is a musical featuring cops. It's just as bad as it sounds. Um, and he, Are they all shooting each other? Is that what's happening? Uh, I, yeah. It's uh, so our our patient here, our, uh, we will learn more about. So this is another uh, fun wrinkle of this episode is that um, we're going to meet patients before we actually meet them. And so as a result, that makes picking out when and where to identify them kind of tricky so i'm just burning these off here just so i don't forget about them later um but our our pain uh pain med seeking patient here who will alternately be uh named john dean and bob halderman because he gives two different names to two different docs um uh, as we said his name played by david giannopoulos uh but i thought it was a, a nice uh interesting little easter egg that the um the two guys the two names that he gives are two of the main players in the watergate scandal uh hmm. so can i can- First fucking stupid thing this episode. I thought that they were two separate patients. These I thought that these two white guys just looked really fucking familiar, and it was just the irony of having parallel shifts. Nope. Cool. Great. I'm Not stupid. all white people Carry look on. the same. Lauren. Yeah, we do. Yeah, anyway, we, yeah, do. we do. Uh, but anyway, uh, the woman who was brought in mentioned men trying to kill her. Cop asked if he needs to stay around to get her story since she's passed out. Michael Pena, and he's like, Yeah, if you want to find that if you want to find out you know who the fuck who the fuck did this is yeah that's up to you that's your job not mine yeah i did not expect to good see... old chicago police never wanted to do their jobs did not Gotta hate we'll, them. we'll forgive it because it's michael pena yeah i did not expect to see michael pena again i uh yeah. completely missed that he was going to make more than one appearance uh but carter goes to check on the nun she has end-stage cancer and the the nun holds Car- holds Carter's face for a moment sh- and says something in Japanese, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is what she's speaking? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then the nuns, the other nun that's with her, uh, says, "So much sadness." Oh. Guys, did she, you know she, Carter's yeah. not okay? Yeah, she's trans. <laughs> she's translating for the woman. Yeah, he's just so broken up about his life. Okay, man. but this is actually a beautiful and touching moment. Don't I know? I know. I'm just. It is. 
uh, and our the the nun who is ill here. She the patient. Uh, she is played by actress June Kyoto Lu, who uh, appeared in stuff like Big Trouble in Little China, Lady in the Water, and Menace to Society. And her companion, who we end up hearing more from than we do obviously from the patient, because the patient is kind of you know deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Um, the companion here is played by actress uh, Patty Yasutake. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, she appeared in a couple of Star Trek movies, Star Trek First Contact, Star Trek Generations, and uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. So kind of an eclectic uh, resume for her there. Uh, we are now moving over to the night shift, checking back in with Pratt. Uh, and Doc Magoo's is burning down now. <laughs> like, not just burning down, it's a fucking inferno. Yeah, it's a full-blown, like, fully involved fire. The The building is a total loss. And Jerry, Pratt, uh, Chuni, and Susan are all kind of gossiping about it in the ambulance bay. And uh, Pratt tells Susan to declare disaster so they can all go home. And uh, I believe it's where Susan says, you're you're a disaster. You're an, uh, he's, he, call it an uh, internal disaster. She's mm-hmm. like, you're an internal disaster. I love that line. What I love even more is Abby not reacting to Doc's being on fire at all, is too busy yelling at her patient who is uh, smoking with an ulcer. Uh, and as she goes to turn and walk back in, Doc just fully explodes. Uh, also garners no reaction from Abby. <laughs> And uh, Doris pulls up with a new patient. And this is the last time we will see Doc Magoo's, uh, a landmark uh, part of kind of the, even though it's not in the hospital proper, like it is definitely like, it is part of the fabric of the show. And it has been yeah. with, it has been it with also us. also a character. Right. It is, it is sometimes been a character unto itself. Like it's where a lot of some of the most emotional moments of the show have happened it like maybe not the moments themselves but the fallout of those moments you know i'm thinking about like raul and the healers Mm -hmm. back in season two i'm thinking about you know them finding out about lucy not making it yep um the baby shower with connie back in season two or three whatever that was like you know like there was a a lot of those moments yeah mark and jen when he's really sick yeah mark and jen like there's there's just a lot about docs that is kind of interwoven with some of the most memorable moments of the show um and the stuff that replaces it is kind of underwhelming like it's it, they never really recapture that magic and i would be very interested to know what the thought process was behind doing away with docs like i'm sure it was some sort of like well we just want to we just want to refresh you know like we're we're shedding our old skin you know like the 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 old guard cast is mostly gone at this point like we want to like freshen things up as we head into this new era of the show i'm sure that was probably part of it it could also we got to give neela somewhere to work it could also be and this is just me totally pulling this out of my ass it could also be with as they were getting lower viewership, maybe they weren't getting as much dedicated lot space. Yeah, maybe. So it's a lot easier to have that torn down and have it replaced with something a little less, a little more faceless. Yeah. So that's something they can easily whip up and down compared to having this fucking diner set. Yeah. Because the stuff that replaces it, I mean, what, it's a convenience store for a while, mm-hmm. yeah. and then there's something else, too, that, that I, is over there. No, it's just a convenience store, I'm pretty just sure. Just a convenience store. Yeah, but there's, it's just, it's not the same. It is definitely not yeah. the same, and it's... uh it's I'm going to miss it. Like I really am going to miss it. It's one of those things that like you didn't appreciate it in the in its time, but like you're going to definitely notice it when it's gone. Yep. Indeed we will. RIP Doc Magoo's. Uh let's go to our first audio clip here though. Uh Romano, it it's the big day, the big operation day during the daytime. Uh Romano is waiting for his operation, so let's listen in. Busy. Come to take a before pictures? 
Shouldn't you be in Prio? Yeah, well, some man-hating bovine threw me out here when an elective lab missing started circling the drain. Hand me that, will you? Well, the chart. It's not a black marker. Poor bastard came in trying to cure aggravated belching. His wife's probably down in the coffee shop waiting for him to wake up. Do me a favor, write not this one idiot on my arm. Oh, like it doesn't happen. I'll be lucky to get out of there without both my legs being amputated. I should have you come in with me, stand guard over these gargoyles. You can if you want to, you know. If you're bored or curious. I'm covering the ER. They need you more than I do. I'll scrub in if I can. You forgot idiot. I'll be there, Robert. Yeah, well, just in case you're not idiot. You think I'm doing the right thing? Doesn't matter what I think. Well, that's a position I would usually advocate, but... Now I'm asking. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. I love Romano so goddamn much. Idiot. <laughs> not this one, idiot. Oh, also, boy. not gonna lie, if that was ever going in for limb amputation, amputation I would absolutely do the same thing. I think they do. Like I think I feel like I've I've heard that. They that absolutely they... do put not this one on it, but yeah. like I I think he's saying like the person got distracted, so he's like I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. Uh, and a very interesting uh choice uh, or you know location to to shoot this. This is a part of the hospital we've never seen before, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we'll ever see again. But it, it's very like um heavenly like it's it's very it's very like it's very sterile very white like lots of natural light coming in through the way it's kind of like a skyway it's also very similar to some of the like paths in northwestern like that's what it reminded me of immediately like i was like did they just shoot this in one of the like uh walkovers at northwestern i was looking over i was looking to see if there's any recognizable buildings or landmarks Mm -hmm. or street signs or anything like that i don't think it was northwestern if i had to venture a guess it's probably rush but it definitely know. has that feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's just an interesting uh interesting spot that like I said we've never seen it before and I don't know that we're ever going to see it uh again. Um, yeah. I also love his well you can you can come check if you want if you're curious and you know, oh, you should come stand guard over these gargoyles when really he's just saying, "Please come be with me. I don't want to be Right. Alone. I know. It has been such a such a both a joy and a and torture to kind of watch Romano twist this season and like it go back and forth like there's just you know he's been able to express such a range of emotions that we haven't really gotten to see before but but I just wish that there was a, a deeper exploration of that you can see Paul McCrane wanting to put the work in yeah exactly like he he is the the quintessential you know kind of like I've been given kind of a shit assignment here, but damn it, I'm going to do it like to the best of my ability. Like he's going to give it his all, even if he does like, and I, I think we can all agree from the tone of the interview we did with him. Like he did not agree with this decision. Like he was not a mm-hmm. fan of the decision to cut Romano's arm off. And he felt like that was going to lead to the end of the character. And he ultimately was right about that. But like, it's, it's a testament to his, you know, work ethic as an actor that he was like you know what they've given me a a shit job a shit assignment here but damn it i'm gonna do the best i can with it yeah just mm. i just yes i'm gonna be so i'm going to be one of like the three people in the world one of the three who is sad when romano is gone because again malucci syndrome it's been such a pleasure reanalyzing this and like yeah romano is a toad 
but he's not nearly yeah. as unforgivable as I remember. Absolutely. Like, yeah, he's got some real, he's got some real fucking terrible points, especially with Benton early on. Right. But like, he's not nearly the walking nightmare I remember. Right. Now let's see how much he ruins it in the next like four episodes. <laughs> right. I mean, but, but I, I remembered him being so much worse. Unforgivable. Unforgivably worse. And like, yeah, like you said, he's had his moments where it's been like, okay, dude, that was a little, you know, uncalled for. But, like, overall, I'm still, I'm shocked at how often I've found myself being like, there's there's something here. Like, there's more mm-hmm. to it than meets the eye. I blame interview bias. But, yes, absolutely. Um, now we're on the night shift. Guys, here we go. We're starting the back and forth. Ooh. Everybody get ready. Of course, I get the first wave of this. Uh, there's a fireman brought in with shrapnel in his eye from the Doc Magoo's explosion. And they take him to Trauma 1, and the family that's in there was from a heart attack patient that's mentioned very briefly with the uh, chart pass. They're still waiting after the dad has passed away because they just they wanted to wait for a little bit before they left. Yeah. Understandable. But they go to leave, and the little kid is just staring into Pratt's soul. He doesn't get on the shitty kids list because he doesn't even have a line, but just haunting child just looking at Pratt as Pratt is on his now last shift at e- at County General. Yeah, and so the mother and son here, the mother is played by actress Tina Holmes, who is best known for appearing in stuff like Half Nelson, Shelter, and a recurring role on the TV series Six Feet Under. And the son is played by actor Paul Butcher, who uh, is best known for appearing in stuff like Meet the Robinsons, Hollywood Homicide, and a recurring role on the TV series Nickelodeon, maybe? Disney Channel? I can't yep. remember. Yep. Uh, Nickelodeon. Zoe 101, which I think and I'm sh- I think that is getting a nostalgia reboot, but I'm, maybe not. It might be. I think. Are you thinking of iCarly? Maybe. Maybe it was the people from that show complaining that iCarly was getting mm. rebooted, but not their show. I can't remember. I feel like I've heard that name and Drama. and the word reboot mentioned in the last six months. Cool. Uh, then we go over to the day shift with Carter. Uh, there's a gunshot wound victim brought in with a shot to the right shoulder in trauma. Uh, we're in there with Gallant and Chen. And it's Turner from last week's episode. Uh, this is a couple weeks after, it sounds like. And he got his spleen taken out from another wound last week. Um, and as that's going on, we see a girl fell into the lake while her dad wasn't looking, so she's been brought in. They don't know how long she was in there, and she's been down for 45 minutes. Not fucking great. We go back to the night shift, and Abby is talking about the same girl. Heather is now triggering the vent so they can take her off the, um, respirator. Cool. We go back to Carter working on Heather, and he gets a pulse back. Her pupils are fixed and dilated. So this is going back and forth. Right. Is that you're seeing like she looks like she's in real bad shape, and then later on in the night she's looking good, and Pratt's got her stable. So by the time we get to Pratt in the night shift, her stats look good. They extubate her. We go back to Carter, and they they manage to get her to posture when they're doing like the sternum stimulus check. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she is responsive to stimuli, but they do have to intubate. Whew. So that that was a like that was one of those spots where I was like, wait, Lizzie, can you go back? I just I missed who said what. Like, let's it's like I told you. Take it's, it it's like I told you after I watched it for my notes, like I was like, I feel like I need a cigarette after watching this. episode. Yeah. Like you just go you just get yanked back and forth and back and forth. It's just it's great. It's a roller coaster ride. But holy shit, like I'm so tired by the time I get to the end. Uh, then we go back to Pratt. The dad looks relieved back and forth between Carter and Pratt, giving him very different sets of news. Uh, mm-hmm. And High Duck from Mad Men. 
this is where we uh, officially meet again. The meeting here is very messy. Uh, Mr. Marks, uh, who is played by actor Mark Moses, uh, who is best known for appearing in stuff like Desperate Housewives, Platoon, and of course, Duck on Mad Men. Uh, shout out to the innocent ladies. Uh, 143 credits to his name, which I think makes him the high watermark actor for this episode. What a uh, neat name, too. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. He parted the Red Sea, I mean, obviously, so. <laughs> Come on, Bible humor, everyone. <laughs> I was trying to think of trying to turn it into a Mad Men joke, but I couldn't get there, so go ahead. He parted the, the Scotch Sea, I don't know. Uh, mm, Carter it. tells him that the prognosis isn't good, but Pratt says that, he's gonna be to- that she'll be totally fine. So. Mm. Hey, your, hey, yeah. your daughter's dying. Hey, your daughter's gonna be totally fine. Uh, what, a, what a day. What a day. Uh, we go back to the day shift. Lizzie is uh, commenting on Turner's condition. Uh, our pain patient from earlier is complaining that he's still suffering, and we find out that the nun is sleeping now that she's rehydrated. And uh, I believe uh, uh, this is the companion. That's right. She's still translating. Uh, she says that it won't yeah. be long. And uh, is this Carter says that she might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some more monks are coming in from the temple, ostensibly to pray over her. Uh, we find out that she had been imprisoned in North Korea. She saved uh, the other nun in prison there. Uh, and she mentioned the companion here says only through our own acceptance do we realize our purpose. It's very like. It's very interesting how they're able to weave this like incredibly dense uh, narrative throughout this episode. That like, I feel like almost could have been the A patient or the or, e, or definitely a very solid B patient in a different episode. Like they they managed to this this episode could have so easily gone by the wayside of those other uh, type of episodes. We've, I'm thinking of Four Corners and Hindsight of like becoming slavish to the gimmick and losing sight of kind of the substance of the stories whereas this one makes you still very invested and very locked in on the stories um chief among them being the the buddhist nun here uh but back on the night shift uh pratt's dealing with a little boy with scabies uh and his bratty mom uh whipping us back over to day shift a girl comes in with a hurt wrist and bruised face she air quotes fell uh and her boyfriend was the one to bring her in this leaves carter uh suspicious uh back on and goes nowhere and goes nowhere yeah there's a there is still quite a bit of like uh one hitter type patient stuff in here um but again that is a little bit more of the like uh reiterating and driving the gimmick home which it's a mixed bag but i don't hate uh back on night shift uh pratt is with a woman insisting that she doesn't have gallstones this upsets lauren uh because uh it's you know the usual type of uh well yeah and then they make the whole oh i had dessert well what'd you have pie well how much pie you know a pie yeah it's funny because fat people have no self-control about what they eat so it's our fault we don't feel good Sorry, go ahead. Uh, our patient here, Anna, she is played by actress Joan Blair, who appears in stuff like Donnie Darko, Daddy Daycare, and He's Just Not That Into You, uh, where I believe her credit in that uh, movie is something to the effect of, like, emotionless cashier, <laughs> which Could very I, well really liked the, hey. I really liked the... Uh, <laughs> are you, I found my perfect role. I was going to say, are you excited to see yourself represented on screen, Lizzie? Yeah, it's... <laughs> Good to see representation. Uh, representation matters. 
Uh, back on uh, day shift, uh, Carter is in with a man who's in with chest pain after doing one of his wife's workout videos. Uh, he's uh, hoping that it's just the wings that he ate, giving him some indigestion. We'll see how that goes. Uh, our patient here, Mr. Dresler, is played by actor Stephen Lee, who appeared in stuff like War Games, The Negotiator, and La Bamba, which I believe is a TV movie. Um, and he has uh, 119 credits to his name and unfortunately did pass away in 2014 mm. from, just darkly ironically enough, a heart attack. Uh, so, not great. And then back on the night shift, Pratt is working on a cast for a young woman. She has cheerleading state finals uh, next month. And of course, he's doing he's doing his uh, smooth voice. Smooth Pratt which I voice. Love. <laughs> yes, you're right. Smoky Pratt. Uh, anyway, uh, Pain Man is insisting on 100. We are with Carter, and Pain Man is insisting on 150 milligrams of Demerol. Carter says he's flagging the shirt. He's like, "Oh yeah, what's your name?" Don John Dean, and then cut to pratt he's gonna oh yeah my name is whatever the other name was halderman now it's it's back to back and i thought these were two fucking different people (laughs) guys i'm not mm -mm, i'm not allowed to do notes anymore y'all it's 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 moments it's moments like these where i'm i'm able to understand how clark kent and superman fooled people yep (laughs) yep absolutely Yeah, uh, but yeah, giving it, giving the, it is going to give him another shot. But I was also said, "Oh, I'm going to flag your chart." But he's like much more like aggressive about it. Yeah. Abby, flag this man's chart. Like, okay, Pratt, go you you go off, son, kid, whatever. Uh, but man comes in who Pat who Pratt poop. You got there. But, but a man comes in who Pratt brushes off to and sends him to chairs. Uh, Susan's listening to firefighters when Abby shoes them away. It's like, isn't the fire outside, boys? Uh, and another gunshot wound comes in. And oh, look, it's Turner again. This time in much worse shape. And uh, lest, yeah. lest we forget one of my favorite uh, ER-isms, uh, <clears throat> hospital-isms here, uh, Biscuit. Biscuits. <laughs> Somebody made a biscuit, and it's it's Pratt's turn to clean it up. And that's where he goes over and uh, asks Jerry about the uh, biscuit ratio over at Northwestern <laughs> between county and, we- and uh, Northwestern. Eight to one. Eight to one. Uh, but then we go to Carter, day shift. He's working on Turner earlier in the day when he first came in. Um, he's trying to make Turner see sense about the violence and, you know, how the gang war isn't a solution to it. And as this is going on, they get kicked out of the room because the mass suicide a mass suicide has occurred on fulton so patients are going to start trickling in from that and a man jumped out a window to avoid taking the poison cool okay um we go back to pratt and i i think it's turner can't feel his feet all of a sudden go back to carter and he says oh put your mom's number on the chart we'll get a hold of her great uh we see Michael Pena got to the apartment where the uh, suicide happened. He knew he knew this was happening because of the woman earlier. Only ten people were alive. There was cyanide poisoning, and of course, one of them is seizing from the poison. Great, cool. And Turner is watching everything going on because Lauren cannot catch a break whatsoever. This week. always always something in an episode. Always and- something. And of note, uh, Turner notices in the other room a rival gang member. You can tell uh, by the yes. different, the different shape band, the different, not the different shape, the different colored 
bandana. Mm-hmm. I'm tired, folks. Uh, but they need a room for Turner's condition. Uh, we're back to Pratt. Sorry. And Lauren? Whose films are those? Uh, stab victims are being brought in as well. Or a stab victim is being brought in as well. And they have mom's number on the chart from earlier. And that brings us back to day shift where they're stabilizing some suicide patients. Then back to Pratt on the evening shift where they're working on Turner. Back again to day shift where Carter is getting pulled into work on a little girl from the cult. And say it with me back one more time to night shift where (laughs) Pratt sees a woman being brought in with stab wounds. And uh, this is, I believe, the pregnant. uh, We we eventually find out is again where we meet people is very messy. Um, this patient we end up finding out is pregnant uh, or was pregnant, um, and her name is Mia, and she was uh, is played by actress Camille Gotti Guadi, uh, and uh, has she has appeared in stuff like Ghost of Girlfriends Past, uh, Scorpion, and the TV series Prison Break. Uh, and this is uh, <laughs> this is Lauren's I... note here. Uh, so in my notes, I'll have you know that each of those bullets goes C, P, C, P, C, P because of how back and forth these were going. Uh, and at one point in the middle of these, I just put L. Fuck this part of the episode. How am I supposed to get this? Uh, it's a split screen (laughs) between both events. Y'all, fuck. It's a great sequence though. Like, and I, I really thought that the, um, the split screen might ruin the gimmick for me, but it really works. So good. It really works spectacularly well, spectacularly well. And like they, they enter it in, in such a like seamless way. They, they do a lot of, mm-hmm. we haven't really talked about that much that they do a lot of really slick cinematography this episode where they will have Carter enter a door. And when they do the usual cut from one room to the next that you would expect, it's Pratt, it's Pratt on the other end uh, or vice versa, you know? And like, so there's yeah. just lots of really slick little cinematography this episode that I really, really like. And yeah, like, it eventually comes together in that split screen moment. But if you look down and you're taking notes, you might miss a transition and fuck right. up what timeline no, yeah. you're it's, in. It, it, I'm sure for Lauren, it's a fucking nightmare. But like, just on a on a pure like enjoyment level and like appreciation level, I just had to yeah. appreciate the effort that it must have gone to to like really carefully, meticulously lay these sequences out. And the sound design is really good too. Like even when it's right. the split screen situation, it's not overwhelming right. it's not cacophonous that's a, that, like, it's that still is, very separate and follow exactly that is another major part of the, the split screen thing is that it could just very well be like competing chaos you know like oh this is a really traumatic or, or a really chaotic you know moment in the episode like we could have very easily just had everybody talk over each other for a minute but the two scenes actually like weave in and out of each other very it's well it's like a dance yeah it is it's very dance like and so like when Carter's side is quiet Pratt's usually going and vice versa and it's um, it's, it's actually one of these things that I, I didn't really, I'm not thinking about this until I'm, I'm saying it out loud, but like, this is an episode where these two are kind of co-starring in it together, mm-hmm. but they actually spend roughly what a minute or two of, of total screen time where they're actually working in a scene together. Mm-hmm. And yet like everything they're do it's, you know, everything they're doing is working off of one another. Um, yes. And it's it's such a unique episode in that way. Uh, and I just... There's consequences for both ends. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but, like, I don't know. Like, getting... They get to play off of each other despite the fact that they're not actually playing off of each other, if that makes sense. Like, that's... As actors, I feel like that's got to be a... That's got to be an interesting sort of dynamic. Like, 
are they what i'm curious is like because we've we've heard from other people that like maybe not by this point because we're you know nine seasons deep at this point but certainly in the early days noah wiley was somebody who would sit around and watch dailies and like sit around and watch people even if he wasn't working i'm curious how they did this episode of like were they filming stuff separately and then just kind of cut it making the edit and making everything work in the the final edit or is it like he's wa- like Pratt, uh, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's watching stuff that Noah Wiley's doing and vice versa to kind of learn the little nuances of like how they can play off of each other and and really seamlessly intertwine these two narratives I just I would be interested to know how that worked out um but we still we're, we're still in the thick of the shit <laughs> we're still in the heavy shit here Fuck. uh back on day shift Carter uh, uh w- with Carter we learned that there were about 10 kids at this cult uh so not great back on night shift uh Pratt's with the woman that got stabbed she had a pregnant uterus and it looks like the baby was removed like a c-section yeah Blech. Yeah, this was Sorry, this was something just... I did I did not follow what had gone on with her. Like I know she was stabbed, and I know baby wasn't there, but like I did not put together what had necessarily happened. Yeah, I don't like I don't remember when, but like I do remember yeah. I do remember there being kind of a like headline making thing of right. this happening to someone. Whether or not it it had happened before this episode came out, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But like, yeah. Eh. Just bleh. gotcha, nightmare fuel. Yeah, got it. Uh, back on day shift. Carter says they're looking. Or they're they're looking for more kits uh, for the suicide page. There's there is a very specific type of antidote kit that they need, and of course they don't stock nearly enough of because you're expecting maybe like one every once in a while, a couple every once in a while that you not not like a whole house or a whole building full of people who uh, would have taken this poison. Uh, and then back on night shift, Pratt is clamping the woman's abdomen to keep her from bleeding out. All right, uh, so then we go back to Carter, and he is at a damn loss on how to manage resources and staff with everything going on. And uh, the little girl from the mass suicide starts to wake up, and all of a sudden they hear screaming from the other room. And we circle back to Pratt. He is working on Turner with Susan. Then back to Carter. Turner is stabbing the shit out of the other boy, um that he saw earlier in the episode with a scalpel. Uh, Carter yells for a tray to tr- and tries to stop Turner because he's bleeding. Um, not great. And then we go back to Pratt, and Turner has flatlined here. And this is an always an excellent musical cue from Martin. And time of death is called as we see a slow-mo shot of Turner running away from Carter from earlier that day. Whew! R.I.P. Turner. It's it's such a... I, again, the notes can't do it justice. The outline can't do it justice. This sequence here is so good. Like, when you talk about just action and consequence mm-hmm. and just how this all trickles down, even from the impact from last episode. Like, this is such a good microcosm of absolutely. that. Absolutely. Even just this, like, three-minute sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, go watch this episode. My notes can't do it justice. Please go check it. All right, and uh, in happier news, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, Romano's uh, not dying. Yeah. So at this at this moment, so Romano's being wheeled into surgery, and they offer him some Valium to take the edge off the nerves. And honestly, this was just kind of like just given to me in all my surgeries. Yeah. 
like that beautiful uh what is what is the versed fentanyl Versaid, cocktail yeah. that you get it, yeah there's like hey we're gonna give you we're gonna give you some versed and ti- <laughs> uh, uh, scotia fentanyl just just, just a just a dash just uh just to relax you and i'm like oh yes please <laughs> would never touch the stuff no in a non-medical setting but in a medical setting give me the good drugs Give me all the good drugs. When I'm medically supervised, then I don't have to worry about having a contraindication because I'm around doctors who can immediately fix it. Exactly. Sure. I don't have like, to worry about dosaging, doses or anything. Well, I more meant like even with any mild anti-anxiety shit that I'm afraid yeah. to do. In the hospital, great. I don't have to worry about having a seizure because they're right there. Yeah. But Shirley's taking care of getting him set up and he clearly is looking for Lizzie and asks for her. And uh, Shirley puts the pulse ox on the the not good hand and he's like you may want to put that on the other hand so i, I love how the i think it's the anesthesiologist actually who goes oh right sorry <sighs> so good. i thought it was maybe shirley it, also uh, lauren had a thing that we when we were watching this that like they wouldn't make him scoot over like at least when i've at, maybe i just don't remember because i was on fucking versed and fentanyl but when i've gotten into the clearest one I can remember is when they did my hand. I mm-hmm. don't remember much of my back surgery, but well, my back surgery—they didn't want me fucking moving at all, probably. But yeah. for my hand, I remember getting help sliding over. Here, they're just like, "No, just move, just scoot yourself." Whereas, so. I think only my only I think only my appendicitis thing because I was in so much pain. Yeah, that they that I could barely move at all. Was, I think. They had they had to move me over, but other than that, I've scooted I've scooted my own butt. No, but maybe it's also because they've gorked me out so hard before I've even gotten all the way into the OR yeah. that I just can't move myself. Yeah, I don't. I honestly, I honestly yeah, I, don't remember for my like when I had my hand operated on. I don't remember. I don't even remember going into the OR. Like I, I have a va- vague I, memory of the gurney moving from where I started to you know towards the OR, but like don't remember anything beyond that i i have memories of all the way to getting the gas on my face for both i remember getting to count back mm, yeah for both of them yeah don't right. don't you, appreciate it they never even had me count back they're just like <laughs> put this thing that's like and just just relax you'll be you'll be out in just a minute just relax take deep breaths you'll be out in just a second just you'll be out in a minute right <laughs> yeah god but yeah so i just thought that was interesting and i guess yeah part of it depends on if they've given him part of the sedative cocktail before and you know what your mobility is while you're going in for surgery but that, that looks like a very just... he sounds and looks like a very sober man yeah it was just very interesting to me as someone who's gone under general three times now i just just i just thought it was neat in my best marge simpson uh voice but yeah. then we go back to the night shift with pratt and it, this is real okay this is really cool when they're transitioning out from Romano, they're giving him some eye drops and telling him to relax. And then it goes right into um, the eye drops uh, visual, but then it comes back and it's Pratt giving eye drops to the firefighter um, who got shrapnel in his eye. So I thought that was the coolest transition of this entire freaking sequence. Mm. But uh, we learned Coburn came down to look at Mia earlier and uh, she had the baby before she got there it is nowhere to be found so like we said during the stabbing it may have been taken Mm -hmm. but baby is not with her um and then we're up we're back to carter in the day shift and mr dressler is having severe pain now needs to be taken up to the cath lab asap 
Uh, he left a mess. He le- I almost said massage. He left a message for his family already. And um, as this is going on, Carter takes a call from his dad. Carrie comes in to yell at him about mismanagement and what's going on with Turner and everything. And Carter is getting some frustrating news from his dad about their trip potentially being canceled. And as this is happening, Carrie keeps talking and he just fucking loses it. Like essentially screams in all caps that he's on the phone. And she even looks taken aback. Just like, what the hell, my dude? Screams in all caps. I like that's, that. I like that's that. the best way to describe it. Because I'm not about to scream into Mike for people. So just very, very aggressive with Carrie. Um, he has to reschedule the trip with his dad. And Carrie's like, oh, you're bleeding. So like, I don't know. Apparently he nicked his neck or something when Turner was running out of the room. Not sure. But then we learn the cath lab can't take uh, Mr. Dressler for another like 30 minutes. And he asks Carter for a pen and paper for a note for his kids. And he says, just in case I'm... And, like, obviously he's like, in case I die. But Carter tries to, you know, put it up to, like, yeah, if you're up in the lab, we'll have a note for them. Like, he tries to really um, bright side this for him. And this is when Lydia pulls Carter out of the room. I love that I noted it was Lydia specifically because I was so happy to hey. see her. And we continue with the day... With the day shift, uh, Carrie jumps into one of the construction trucks. A man fell down onto some rebar, and they can't get him out without him bleeding out because the it good is old, just the good old right fell, through his shoulder. The good old fell under rebar trick. Hey, it's, it's a classic. It happens, and it's a cool looking injury. From a, I think from it a, is from a prop standpoint. Yeah. yeah, from a prop standpoint, I think it's a really cool looking injury. Uh, so they have to get him stabilized in the actual dump in the actual dump truck. Uh, and they're out during the eclipse. Oh boy, here come the pretzels. <laughs> like this is where the the green screen takes a, a turn for the 2003 absolute fucking worst. Like it makes it makes the green screen from the beginning of the episode look like fucking Scorsese. It's so bad. Like uh, Carrie and I forget who's in that two shot with her. If it's um, Susan or Carter. I honestly can't remember. But whoever's whoever's in that two shot with Carrie, they are like they're surrounded by this halo that like just and it's not from the eclipse, like it's from the um it's from the green screen effect and it's just like it is the one thing that keeps this episode from being an absolute perfection. 10 out of 10 and if I could I would do like a George Lucas style like go back and fix it thing but I wouldn't I wouldn't like change the CGI necessarily I would just I would just do shadow effects on the ground stop showing the sky like I don't understand why they feel that I don't understand why they feel compelled to show the sky as though that is some crucial component to the storyline of this episode I feel like they could have done it with tricks of shadow on the ground yeah no absolutely it was just such a strange, and, and, and I'm sure what it was, was we have this new technology, we might as well use it. And it also sort of feels like, too, that they've already figured out the next episode, because I'm sure the next episode was very technically complicated, and it's a season finale, so season finales are always big budget, always big event type things. So I'm sure they've already, the money for the season finale was already earmarked. This feels like we have a surplus and we need to spend it <laughs> like this episode has so many like cartoonishly large set pieces and CGI 
and stuff like the whole like construction apparatus on the outside of the hospital like, like it's so needlessly like elaborate that it it makes me feel like they had leftover money by the end of the season and they were like well we got to burn this off and so we just crammed it all into one episode but i just really wish that they had not done the cgi so much like it just ugh. yeah <sighs> But uh, we go uh, back to the night shift. There's a, a man has called to talk about where Mia's baby is. Uh, not great. Uh, this is where we uh, get to finally meet the uh, air quotes, meet the uh, man that uh, Pratt or Carter, I honestly can't remember at this point. Pratt. Um, kind of brushed aside a little bit earlier in the episode. Mr. Jameson, who's having heart palpitations and he doesn't have a doctor until his Medicare kicks in next year. Uh, Pratt says that he'll get him some real food and that he's his doctor now. Uh, and Mr. Jameson here is uh, played by actor Earl Billings, who's a big, oh, hey, it's that guy. Like, And I feel like from looking at his IMDb, since not a whole lot jumped out to me personally, I feel like he must be a big commercial actor. Like, I feel like he must pop mm-hmm. up in a lot of commercials because his face is instantly recognizable where I was like, that guy, I've seen him a million times. Then I looked at his IMDb and I was like, well, not really. Like, I don't really know this much, that much of this stuff. So it makes me think commercials must be what I've seen him in. Um, the stuff he has appeared in include uh, American Splendor, Antoine Fisher, and Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer. So big, I've never heard of him. Uh, 109 credits uh, to uh, Mr. Billings' name here. Uh, and uh, the man on the phone, I believe, is asking if Mia is uh, alive. So. so not great there. Back on day shift, Carter, uh, is uh, there's a fire truck pulling up to help, and we find out that the Buddhist nun is drowning in pulmonary edema. Uh, no time to absorb that as we're back on night shift. Uh, Pratt is uh, talking with the person on the phone, and according to the caller, the baby that they're looking for is in an alley on the north side of the building, and so Pratt and Abby go off to uh, investigate. Y'all ready for some chanting? Yes. I know I am. Jesus, uh, Lizzie. This next audio clip, it... Watch the episode, people. But it's like beautiful. This, there was just way too much information being thrown way too fast for us to parse out. And there's a really cool... What is was it what you call it? Diegetic? Yeah, diegetic. Good job. Okay. I can never remember what that actually refers it's, to. It's when music or sound like being played is it, it's in the plot. right like the, the characters are hearing it as well it's not soundtrack like so it's like if if uh two characters are driving in a car and there's music playing on the radio that's diegetic sound it's um okay. it's all in the family the music is on the boom box ah yeah. yes okay got it all right well this has this is that but it's a bunch of uh, bu- a bunch of monks chanting so uh, but uh, so Carter's working on the nun, and that's going to go into rapid cuts between the day, the night, and Romano surgery. Is that for pain? She's in pain again. No, this is for the fluid in her lungs. I can give her morphine, but it will suppress her breathing even more. Where? Oh no, he just said it now. 
breaths down on the right. It's a massive hemothorax. Needs a chest tube tray. Inflate. Ah. I'll retract the supernator. You divide. Let's get out. Radio nerve. Thanks, Both morphine on board. I better check BP. Yeah. No more BPs. Find anything? No. Are you sure this wasn't a prank? Wait, wait, shh. Listen. There must be three leaders in there. Grab a sterile base and the biggest one we got. Tack at 140 barely has a pulse. Hang another tube. Shot, get rid of the O2. Make it fast. Clamping the tube. Go. Been touched with to get run over. Find him? No. Slide the backboard up here. Hurry up. Hold on, it's down to 83. Ready, put the O2 back on He's it. free. Roll him. Ah. Arms free. Rest back from the bone spur. Take more periosteum. Trio vicro. Such just, a cool, just such a cool set of sequences all together. Yeah. Top, I'm going to say top 10 audio things mm. of the entire series for me. I fucking love that whole, yeah. mm-hmm. just the audio of that whole sequence. Yeah. It's incredibly well woven, like the, the, the underlying score and the, the chime, you know, sound and the chanting and, and then just all the, the sound from the saws and the like because they're cutting both in the the construction scene and in romano's amputation and like so there's some symmetry there too and like i i also feel like um as we're going through this like i feel like an underrated aspect of this episode like i feel like this would feel like much more of a, a gimmick episode than the masterpiece that it ends up being if it was just strictly carter and pratt and we were and we were just mm-hmm. bouncing back mm-hmm. and forth between those two stories. Yeah. I think the inclusion of the culmination of kind of the season-long journey we've been on with Romano, I feel like the inclusion of that uh, really elevates it and really like brings it home and and makes it all. Yeah, time. I feel like a lesser a lesser writer would have maybe like, oh yeah, we'll just do that off screen in between. Yeah. Like in between seasons. Yeah. It's I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very glad it, it they just didn't. works spectacularly well. Uh Love with it. that be with that being said, we're back with Pratt and they hear the baby crying 
run they runs towards it and finds it just tucked a little bit behind some fencing like we heard out of the way so it wouldn't get run over. That's a very fat, clean baby in some clean blankets. <laughs> it's a fat baby. It's a fat newborn. Um, so yay, baby's okay. Uh, we go back to the day shift with Carter and Luca is on the phone with him. They're being evacuated. He needs some additional support because one of their doctor's visas was blocked. Daniel, you have a note about somebody in the back Yeah, here. so in the background, we're, we hear this woman, you know, and she kind of ducks in and out throughout the scene as, as Luke is on the phone. But she's speaking pretty much exclusively in French in this uh, scene. And is, there's, there's no focus placed on her at all. Like, and she's, yeah. she's not really material to the scene. But again, this goes back to my point earlier of like... This is almost prestige level television storytelling here of like, this is a character who's going to become more important over the next handful of episodes. Um, uh, is it Jillian or Gillian? I think her character's uh, name is. Uh, I, I think, I think. Jillian. Yeah. 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 Cause of course it's French pronunciation, but um, uh, yeah. So she is uh, making her first of six appearances here. Uh, played by actress Simone Elise uh, Girard, who uh, appears in stuff like Boris Without Beatrice, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and This Life, among a lot of other uh, mainly French productions. Like, if you go and look at her IMDb, there's lots of stuff that is, you know, French-produced on there. Very prolific mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but I just thought that was really cool that, like, there's this this little, uh, you know, this little nugget, this little wrinkle that will carry forward into the next few episodes. I just thought that was... Uh, Again, every part of this episode is expertly woven. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luca goes on to say they can't travel where they need to go because the road is blocked, so they're having trouble getting supplies in. So Carter's like, I can come. Do you guys need a doctor? I have my shots. I, I still have the paperwork. Like, I can come. And Luca's like, yeah, get on a plane. Come help out. So they have this conversation. As, as this is going on, Mr. Dressler is crashing, and he never even made it to the elevator for the cath lab. Not great. We go back to Pratt. Baby is looking good. He was nice and full term and healthy. And he's like, you're doing pretty good being for being ripped from your mother's womb by some lunatic. Uh, but he says he'll keep an eye on the baby. And Susan and Abby tease him. That like he's like, want, wants to look after it and take care of it. Like, huh, how dare a man care about a baby? <laughs> so gay. <laughs> Every every episode, Lord, you have to give me one moment that I just want to clip out just by itself, and just you're welcome. I, I need a whole Lauren soundboard at this point. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm uh, self absorbed enough that I'd appreciate that. Please subscribe at the fifty dollar tier at our <laughs> Patreon, <laughs> patreoncom podcast. So I'm sorry, I was Emma's imitating Jake in you're a couple warm, weeks. Warming it sorry. up, warming up the pipes. Exactly. Uh, with Carter, Mr. Dressler is down. Carter panics that they didn't get him the pen and paper for him. Uh, Lizzie is cleaning up Romano's arm and talking to him while he wakes up. I need to. I forgot to look up what silver nitrate sticks are. To like, because because he has a little bit of bleeding, and she's like, "Oh no, I'll use a silver nitrate stick." I forgot to look that up. Boy, howdy! I have Google while you're talking. Cool. Uh, but yeah, he's clean. She's cleaning up his arm, and he is still drugged out of his mind. But like, he's like semi-conscious, mm-hmm. and he's just saying he's just saying random things like, "Oh, Lizzie, she's one hell of a surgeon, so beautiful." And some of the sketchiest CGI you're bound to see <laughs> oh, on this boy. show, with uh, when you reveal his arm that has the staples in it. 
and mm. just ah, I mean they they had to do it. And, they they didn't have any other choice. Yeah. And just Roman and just uh, Romano mumbling, "I love you, Elizabeth." Um it is a natural um cauterizing agent. Huh. Well, oh really? Sense. Yep, with antimicrobial back, uh, properties. That makes cool. sense. The more you know. Uh, here's a weird hot take. Uh, I feel like, in the spirit of, uh, let's say, a Union Station, I think that Lizzie should have said "I love you too," and uh, because I feel like there's enough of a like emotional connection between these two, not romantic. Not, uh, you know, she has made it clear time and time again that she does not view him in that way. And he, for to his credit, despite a few uh, off-color remarks here and there, has mostly respected that. He totally He has does. mostly been respectful like, of that. Even in her most vulnerable moments, he has always been mm-hmm. respectful of that boundary. And I feel like this would have and been even, the perfect acknowledgement. Even though he's drugged out of his fucking mind and he won't remember it. I think because of that, I feel like this should have been a moment for her to to for uh, for her to say to us as the audience through Romana, like she should have let us in on that, like that she cares for him just as much as he cares for her. Yeah, like they have a very unique, I'll say, friendship. Even yeah. like the way with the way that's even grown. Like, let's put Romano aside as his own. He's a little human piece of shit. Fine, but the relationship they've managed to weave for him and Lizzie. And that bond is so mm-hmm. good. Not even romantic, but just like as a, as bond, a true yeah. friendship. It's I would have so I, I would have I would have had him ahead. say that and I would have had her take a moment where she's like put off of like, Oh, this is awkward, I don't know what to say and then and then and take then, a second and think about it and then be like just softly, I, I love you rather. too. And then that could have just there's a there's a little moment in there. You just you left a little meat on that bone, Jack. Like you could have just just meh. You're leaving anyway. Like you smoke them while you got them, Jack. Like you gotta just like. Uh, maybe that was the point. You're maybe that him. was the point. Maybe he you're, knew he was leaving and he just wanted to fuck us over, you know, on the way out the door. Double birds as he's leaving. You're, you're, you're killing the man in like five episodes. Let him have something right. good. Uh, but we go back to uh, night shift. Uh, uh, Pratt wheels Mia's baby in so that she can hold him. Back on day shift, Carter can't get Mister Dressler back and has to tell the wife what happened. And this is the moment, uh. this, where he tells this, uh, he kind of lies, where, you know, he, he kind of covers his own ass a little bit for the fact that he never got around to giving the, the paper to him, you know, whatever. But for my money, and I've been very hard on Carter this whole season, but for my money, this, is, this scene right here is the most Mark Green John Carter has ever been, and maybe ever will be. Like, this is the closest, I think, that this character has ever come to being worthy of that torch of like the emotional heart and the 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 soul the 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 leader and the the keeper of the soul of that that place like i feel like this moment here with this family is one of his finest and the, just the way he delivers the news the way he says it it just struck me in a way that was very mark green-esque and it was um it was really nice to see after like such a, a long fucking season it has been with, you know, everybody, but especially this character. It was really nice to see an actual honest to goodness, great moment out of Carter from this. So, uh, and then we check back to, to back to night shift with Pratt. He's passion, passing off his patients, patients to Chen for the morning. 
we see uh, Mr. Jameson uh, is feeling better. Uh, and Pratt is he- headed out having whooped County's ass. And another, this is, this is a, a, a great example, again, of why this episode works so well, is that it does so many things. Like, I feel like this is the episode that makes Carter as close to green as you can get, as that character I think is going to get. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe a little bit better once he goes through the Africa stuff. But, like, th- this episode does a lot for Carter, and he needed a lot. But this is the episode that also kind of makes Pratt, too. Like, this is the episode that kind of solidifies that we are on a very, very good track with Pratt as a growth arc and a, as a character. Um, it's And in a way, it's kind of a passing of the torch type of episode. Like, it's kind of an episode where Carter finally sheds some of the remainder of the, you know, young, ineffective Carter skin and passes the torch of the new kind of not the, to say he's the new Carter, but just like passes some of that torch and some of that mantle onto Pratt. And it just does. It, it's, yeah. it's one of the things about this episode that makes it so good is that it does so many things for so many characters. I really like that point about the passing of the torch. I wouldn't have thought about it that way before. And they don't have to interact that much to do it either. I feel like there's a very ham fisted way to do this episode where they like meet in the ambulance bay on their way out and they go like, Oh, it's your, you know, you said the t- blah, 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 whatever. Like it, you could have very easily gotten very hammy and very like over the top, but this was much more subtle. This was just like, it's two guys experiences on the job and how they've changed and how they've grown. Like it's, it's a much, much better way to tell the story. I think. All right, let's go to our last audio clip here. Uh, Abby and Carter are in the ambulance bay. Hey. Hey. Did you see the eclipse? Yeah, sort of. Pretty freaky, huh? Yeah, I guess. You have a rough shift. Yeah, there was this this guy, this M.I. He asked me for a pen and some paper to write a note to his kids, and couldn't save him, but I could have. Nothing's right here. Hey, I haven't seen you in a week, that's it? Luca called me looking for you. He was under the impression I might know where you were. You're going, right? Africa. It's not real. But it's not here. Oh. So good. Just want that as a tattoo. Just it's not Rio, but it's not here. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And so it begins, folks. We are headed to another continent. I can't wait. I'm so excited to dig into those episodes. Like, I I don't think there's a series of episodes that I've been more looking forward to revisiting with a critical eye than than the Africa episodes. Yeah, I think that's... I think I'm less excited because all the other times I've watched them, they were never my favorites. That's... 
That's just I don't well, for one reason we, or another. I'll look so. at it this way: we made you appreciate Malucci and Romano. Maybe maybe you'll have a different view by the time we're done with these. I never said no, but no, but, but I'm just saying you, you may you may, okay, but still. We've found new appreciation in Romano when at least Daniel and I were talking about thinking he was a loathsome toad yeah. when we first started. So we've all had experiences where we've changed right. perspectives. And, the, and there is, so maybe, and there's arguably, I don't even know that arguably needs to be a qualifier there. There's there's probably no more divisive stretch of episodes in the fandom than the Africa episodes. So like I am okay. eagerly awaiting my chance to reevaluate them with, again, like I said, that critical eye, because you know, you know, we've done 200 of these fuckers now. It is a very different experience watching it the way we've started to watch this time around than it is passively watching, you know, in the middle of a, a, a binge watch. So like I'd be I will be very interested to see how that has changed and how that has evolved and like I still think it's uh you know this is getting ahead of ourselves but like I I still think it was an incredibly responsible and noble thing t- to do on their part as a concept the execution we'll see but it is uh it's going to be interesting it won't be boring that's for sure I yeah, I'm I'm just excited. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just geeked. Uh, but then we go back to Pratt, and this is the mor- the next morning now. At the end of his shift, he sees a first aid kit survived in the rubble at docks. And I love how Carrie's like, "Are you even supposed to be in there?" Um, and he's like, "Nope, but I'm I'm done. I'm headed out." And Carrie's like, "Well, if you're ever bored, Lord knows we'll need the staff." And as that's going on, Halle yells at him from across the street in the ambulance bay to ask questions about Mister Johnson's treatment. And he walks back into the bay to go give her answers because he's like, oh, and then he says, I guess I'm more of a south side duck to which Lizzie and I both screamed that the loop isn't it's, in the south side. It's not the south side. The loop is the loop. It is not the south. The south side is the south side. The loop. Yeah. Ah. And, and Geography. The, based, <laughs> off everything, based off everything they've shown us on where county is as far as where it's in insinuated to be from little pieces we've gotten it's in the it's, loop and and the magic was ruined it wasn't the it yep. wasn't the ropey cgi it wasn't uh, it wasn't any of that it was they, because they had the audacity to refer to the loop as the south side it's okay it's still not the worst sin the show commits with that we are coming oh, yeah. up to that i don't know when that is it's sometime in the next like three seasons Soon-ish. i think ah uh, but yeah, soft 10 out of 10. Wish it was made at a later time just so the CG would be better. Yeah, and I th- I, like I said, I think I would just I would just special edition my way out of it. And I think I would just, you know, shoot all that stuff on street level and not not show the sky because the, the sky, the sky yeah. has arguably never been important in this show. Like, when have we ever fucking had them looking up at the sky for anything like you, it's, you don't you don't need it. It's not, you know, and I get it. It's an eclipse. You know, it's a thing, you know, whatever. It's the only black mark on an otherwise 10 out of 10 perfect episode. And it's one that, like, the joke I made both to you both in the group chat and uh, in our Discord was that, like, it's that scene in The Hangover when Mike Tyson punches the guy and Ed Helms goes, oh, he's still got it. Like, it, it's, it's, what this, <laughs> yes. it's what this episode represents for me because, like, there is this like chorus, this very vocal chorus of fans who always are just like, well, you know, the show kind of ends after Mark dies. There's really nothing of substance, you know, after that and blah, blah, blah. And, and what's frustrating is that so much of that has kind of rung true this whole season. Like season nine has been very, I think it's being generous and kind to call it middling. Like there's been very little to write home about 
in the majority of season nine. Individual moments here and there, individual scenes, performances, but like overall the the product has been underwhelming. They have clearly struggled to recapture the same magic that they had in the first eight seasons. See, I would go farther and say it's been downright bad. Eh, I'm, I hesitate just, to say bad. Just I hesitate bad. to say bad. Not that there haven't been clunkers, clunker episodes, but like I don't. I, nothing that made me go just like, oh, I think I'm done with this. Like, or like I it made me question whether or not I wanted to keep watching, even when I was watching it the first time. I, I don't. They're, they're, those times will come. I'm looking at you, season thirteen. Uh, but like. <laughs> It, what this episode represents to me is that when pushed and when properly motivated and when when given good material to work with, this show can still bring it. And there are still absolute 10 out of 10 banger episodes that to come. And I, be, and I firmly believe that almost every season, I hesitate to say every season because I do not want Aaron to write a novel length uh, explanation as to why I'm wrong on that, uh, but he's, he's already, already writing, writing it. it. It's, Too late. It's, 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 the prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, but like, I, I, I venture to say that there's at least one really, really great, if not to this level, episode in every remaining season. There's at least one that you can point to and you can go in the midst of all this garbage there's still this episode that I can go god damn it they they've still got it and like this episode was such a breath of fresh air for me of just cuz I completely forgot about this episode had completely too, scrubbed honestly. it from memory my uh, to, not to like peek behind the curtain too much but like my my focus was already completely on Africa. Like I have moved on in my head to end of the season, season nine wrap up, beginning of season 10. Like I had mentally already checked out of season nine and was starting to, to do prep for that stuff. So like to have this episode come along and completely punch me in the face and completely subvert my expectations and go like, no man, there is still like 10 out of 10 balls to the wall, banger classics, even when you're not expecting them. And it was such a like, it was such a re-energizing experience watching this episode. Like I was so invigorated after watching it. I was just like, God damn it! Like this is what, th- like this is the feeling that I've been missing all season. And like this is, this reminds me that like, again, when they've got the right material, they can still bring this out. And you know, so it's one of those things I have to keep in. I have to keep this episode in mind when we go through those doldrum stretches of some of these some of these seasons that are coming up, you know, down the pipeline as we get closer and closer to the end. It's going to be those stretches where you're going to question like, God damn it. Are they ever going to, you know, surprise me again? Are they ever going to pull, you know, something out of their hat again? And then an episode like this is going to come along and it absolutely will. And so I, I just, this episode means so much to me and it, it, it is, it brought me so much joy. And like, I, I have such a new, I easily would rank this in a top 10 easily. Like, this episode is phenomenal. All right, go off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh. I mean, I can't say anything more than that, honestly. I, I can just say Once again, again Daniel seals the show. Yep, uh, I'm just going to say again, thank you for making, mm. not making me, thank you for high, strongly advising that we watch it before doing notes, because you're right. If I had approached this fresh-eyed and just done notes raw, that's a disgusting way of putting it, but if I had just gone for it without having the pre-watch, I would have hated right. this. And I, I, I would just, have been, uh, especially, especially with the mental week I've had with work, 
the amount of energy I would have had to do this, I would have thrown my computer within the first, like, five minutes. I would have been like, nope, I'm out. Y'all can do the podcast (laughs) without me. So thank you, because this is an episode that truly deserves that attention and truly deserves that enjoyment. So I appreciate you doing me a favor and having, like, for my own benefit, having me watch beforehand. Because there's a lot of stuff that, from an emotional side, I would not have... um, Been open to? Been open to or absorbed or anything if I was too busy, like I was the second time through, to actually even see where swaps were happening sometimes. So... And I, I do appreciate the point you made that sometimes when we're in the doldrums and we're like, this is fucking ridiculous. We got to remember they pull a rabbit out of the hat. Right. They surpri- There's a reason we're on episode 200. Something keeps bringing right. us back. Which again, holy shit, episode two hundred. I'm sorry, but like, what? Yeah, the fuck? we don't we don't really have time to wax poetic about that because we were already very very long. But it is it oh, is shit, an incredible right. achievement. Sorry. Like I'm I'm psyched well, and stoked that we're that we're still doing this at two. I remember I'm looking right now at the special like hundred episode sticker that I made when we hit a hundred episodes, and that felt like a massive accomplishment. And I'm sorry that I didn't really like that was still like kind of pandemic time, and so like I had that kind of time on my hands to like make shit like that. And I'm sorry I didn't get around to making anything like that for this because it is a milestone and it deserves to be recognized. But like. It's just Darn. wild to me that like we're still at it. We still haven't missed a Thursday in 200 episodes. Like, and I just you know I'm very proud of of, of us. But I'm I'm and I'm incredibly thankful for anybody who's taken the time to listen even once. Like it's uh it's truly a labor of love. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> All right. Uh, far as listeners go, I'm gonna try and. Daniel, thank you for the time check. I'm going to try and go through this quick, but still respectfully. First off, we have Alina M. says, This is my favorite episode. I love how Orman brought in the theme of day and night and the solar eclipse. Day and night are opposite of each other, just like birth and death, joy and sadness. Day cycles into night, night cycles into day. People are born, but they also die. Joy is followed by sadness. The cycle of life continues like this. And sometimes a shadow is suddenly thrown over us. A solar eclipse is associated by various cultures with rebirth, growth, and change, and that is that all endings are beginnings in disguise. So for several people, this was indeed a new beginning. I wish they hadn't let Doc Magoo's burn down, but it was good that they used it to reflect the reactions of Abby, Susan, Carter, and Pratt to show where they were at this point in their life. Carter is reeling from all the recent events. Um, during his busy shift, he feels overwhelmed, barely helpful, and increasingly discouraged. Doc Magoo's burning down at the end of his shift is how he sees his life now. And it turns out Carter is more like his mother than he knew. I think, um, Noah Wiley did an excellent job reflecting Carter's emotions, although he was chewing the scenery in the second scene with the nun. Uh, so while Carter is going south, Pratt and... Pratt has his best shift at County. I like that they ended the episode with a positive note with Pratt finding the first aid kit and burned down Doc Magoo's and deciding to stay. He's a good team with Susan and Abby, even though Abby was cranky all shift because of Carter's insubordination. I think season nine is really the best season for Romano and Corday, possibly because of Romano's vulnerability to her. Their interactions somehow just ring true to me. I'm glad Corday wasn't the one to saw that arm off. Uh, this this way it was much more realistic next up we have at carrot says trigger warning i talk about cults and suicide 
Fun fact. I don't know if anyone has mentioned this, but the September nope, 21st nine. mass suicide. Uh, t- oh, 921. I don't know why I just did. Got it. Okay, let me try that again. Sorry. I was like, why would we reference the episode number in the episode we're talking about? Let me try that again. Sorry, Carrot. Uh, fun fact. I don't know if anyone has mentioned this, but the 921 mass suicide attempt from the cult was very reflective of a cult known as Heaven's Gate from 1997 that did successfully commit mass suicide. At the scene, no signs of struggle were found, suggesting that this was done willingly by all of its members. How does that work? Sometimes cults will justify actions by suggesting that it is the right thing to do. In the case of Heaven's Gate, I think they believed that the body was a dying container for the soul. Now, some cults, I do believe, will also commit commit similar actions when a theory is proven wrong. But they also may spin the occurred events to fit their narrative in order to relieve the cognitive dissonance it caused within the group. It's interesting the techniques used by these organizations. They are not ethical, I would argue, but they are interesting. In other words, I'm a psychology nerd. At Swimply, Swimply Spooning, <laughs> at Simply Swoon, I'm great. At Simply Swooning says, I think this episode is one of Pratt's best. He really comes into his own and County brings out the best. While it brings out the worst in Carter, but then again, everything that doesn't go his way or isn't solely focused on him does that. So, nothing new. And it's our first look at Luca fully out of his Marvin's Room era and into a full-blown Adventure Doc era. I find the back and forth a little tiresome but effective, especially with the gang violence storyline. The nun's death is haunting and it's seen... It's a scene that has stuck with me since I watched it years ago and possibly the best Romano Corday interaction since Bygones. It does make me wonder if he had lived and been less Romano, what could have happened? I don't think it resonates as much as The Crossing or any of the other Milestone episodes, but it's one I never forget. Daniel, what was that just, face? I, I just personally happen to disagree with The Crossing being a resonating episode. It's, the Crossing is fine. It's, it is the definition of fine, but that's just my opinion. All right. All right. I'm stretching. I'm cracking my knuckles. Last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad. ER has swung and missed, or hit infield singles, on gimmick storytelling devices over the years. Four Corners, Hindsight, even the live episode, and I've been critical of most recent ones for sure. When Night Meets Day breaks out of the slump in a big way. It's one of the best episodes of the entire series. The parallel storytelling of Carter and Pratt's final days in the ER serve to underscore Pratt's gradual appreciation for the work he's doing at the hospital um, he sustains and the simultaneous delusion, disillusion Carter is feeling inside the walls. Pratt saving the drowning victim Carter thought he'd lost really drives that point home early in the episode. I always choke up during the Turner storyline, a through line from last week's episode. The scene where he dies during the night shift and runs out of the ER doors during Carter's shift is really stirring to me. Turner symbolizes the true toll of these gang wars. While the bravado and braggadocio they display in their violence is truly terrifying, in the end, many of them are just confused kids who wind up crying for their mothers or fathers before succumbing to the wounds from the life they chose. It's a drumbeat that carries on to this day. But it's not just the big moments that work here. It's some of the smaller beats, too. The drug seeker who scores off both Pratt and Carter gives me a chuckle. The pacing in this episode also shines. 
The frenetic nature of the side-by-side scenes of the suicide cult casualties and Turner and the pregnant woman is a masterclass of editing, pace, and use of score, as is the four stories in one scene of the eclipse, the death of the monk, the discovery of the baby, and the definitive surgical solution of Romano's troubled appendage. The use of the monk's chant to tie it together is haunting, and to exit it with the baby crying, birth after death, was beautiful. We also officially say goodbye to Carby and Doc Magoo's here as both go up in smoke, literally and figuratively. Which means that we are right around the corner from the next huge cast upheaval, both in front of the camera and behind the, sh- the scenes. We are preparing to say goodbye to Jack Orman as showrunner and entering the Chris Chulock years. Orman, I feel, got a lot right during his tenure, especially nailing Mark's farewell and his masterful season seven. And after a largely forgettable season nine, he really sticks the landing here and in the upcoming finale. I'm really excited for what's around the bend. All right. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast, where for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. Next one coming in two weeks. Uh, free fun monthly bonus show. <laughs> was that, Lauren? Fuck. Add it to the soundboard. Yeah. A free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Hopefully, Twister should be up by now. Lauren and I should have recorded that. Um, we'll have. We will have. It'll be done. Okay. All right. And character retrospectives where we de- reflect on departed main cast members. Can't wait to do those again. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sign Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Worker. Folks, find you at... They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren Worker, folks, find you at... Uh, folks can find me on Instagram at Lobo92345. And weirdly enough, I'm also on Blue Sky at that same thing. I somehow managed to get in. Thanks, homies. So if any of you are on not Twitter on Blue Sky, I am also at Lobo92345 over there. And I'm at Random Gamer over there at the same as always is GAM3R um, or on Instagram at Random Gamer1. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for our season finale. Woo! Weird. And we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.